So in Acts chapter 11, we'll just continue on as we've started our study in the book of Acts. And today I'd like to title this one, uh, To God Be the Glory. And like I said, we're going to do chapter 11 and 12. But that'd be a good title for these two chapters together when we get to the end of chapter 12. We'll see that uh, it's all about the, the fact that God is supposed to be the one getting the glory. Amen. He gets glory for all things. Praise God. So let's pray this morning before we start and, and as we get ready to go through the scriptures that our eyes will be open and the Lord will help us see what we need to see. Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We give you thanks once again for this opportunity, Lord, to be in your house with your children. We thank you, Lord, for the ability now which you will give us, Lord, to expound upon your word. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts and minds will be open to receive the word which we're here today, God. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 11, <clears throat> to God be the glory. Now, remember last week we saw the lesson and uh, we went through chapter 10 and Cornelius, which was the, of the Gentile world, got saved, him and his whole household. And remember, to start out with, Peter was a little bit against going there. He didn't know. He'd had that vision of all these different animals and things, and they told him to rise and eat. And he said, no, I can't eat that unclean stuff. I'm a Jew, you know. I, I follow this special diet and all these kinds of things. So that's where we finished last week, is that Peter had actually finally went and saw the vision, and the Lord told him what to do. And next thing you know, Cornelius and his whole house get saved, and, and people... People were happy about it. So we'll pick that up at that point of the story in chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Not a real warm welcome to the preacher who'd went and seen all these bunch of people get saved and calling upon the name of the Lord and received the gift of the Holy Spirit and all these things. He comes back and he doesn't get a real warm reception to the story, does he? So you, you mean to tell me you went into a guy's house that's uncircumcised and you ate with them? They didn't, they didn't, they weren't real thankful the fact that got saved and had their sins forgiven. They were just worried about, you went into a house of a guy that's, well, they considered unclean. Something we need to, to draw from this, just briefly, and I'll mention it. And we mentioned this a lot last week, but it, it's the same thing. As Christians, we have to guard ourselves against prejudice. We do. We, that's, that's one of the things. We get stuck in a little rut of our little group doing certain things, and we think we're the only ones, right? We're going to learn in this story that God can save whoever He wants to. But there's a whole lot of people we never believe would get saved that will. So... So the hardcore Jewish Christians of that day, that's when it talks about those of the circumcision. It was people who'd believed on Jesus, but they were hanging on real real tight to the law of Moses. So they were hanging on to that stuff. We've got to watch what we eat. We've got to not go to unclean houses and those kinds. Of, they were really still stuck with that. So those hardcore Jewish Christians were still bound up in stereotypes. Okay, So that's one of the things we talked about last week we've got to guard against. So now in verse 4. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw in a vision an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, 
Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, No, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent from me uh, to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Peter's just simply retelling the story here. He's telling them because he came back to tell them the good news and all they could get out of it was, you went to a Gentile's household and ate with him? They were really upset. So now he retells the whole story about how, you know, even he was a little bit prejudiced at the start, right, toward the Gentiles. And he said, look, the Lord straightened me out, got me set fixed everything, and, and now I have a little bit different perspective, so now they get that as well. Now notice in verse 17, I just wanted to draw attention to this verse. If therefore God gave them the same gift as He gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? That kind of ties us into our title, to God be the glory. This was God's work. Peter was just being used. And see, that's one of the things that we need to remember. If God's using us in some certain way, it's not us. God's just simply using us. We're just being willing to be used. It's still God's work. And so that's why he was talking about it's, it's God's plan to offer the gospel to whoever's going to believe. And he asked them the question, who was I that I could withstand God? He realized that this is just bigger than just the Jewish community. That this was going to go to the Gentiles and eventually to the whole world. He realized, wow, this is not so tight-knit as we thought. That the Lord's going to save whoever He wants to save. Amen? And then in verse 18, When they heard these things, they became silent. That's something when you get a bunch of people that likes to talk a lot, and then they, get, they hear something that causes them to be silent. That usually means it's got down in here pretty, pretty good, and they realize, oh, okay. Anyways, it said they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So they, the hardcore Jewish Christians, they accept what God has done by bringing salvation to the Gentiles. Kind of hard to argue with the Lord, isn't it? When the, you can kind of have your own idea how things are going to go, then all of a sudden the Lord does something and you're just like, Oh, okay. Well, you can't argue with that, right? So that's kind of where these guys were at at the time. So in verse 19, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Then in verse 20 it says, But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, 
who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, which that means the Greeks, okay, a lot of Bibles just say the Greeks there, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. See, it was still very common at that time that they thought, well, this is just supposed to be to the house of Israel, to the descendants of Abraham, to the Jewish people. But all of a sudden now you're starting to see it trickle out, and some people are now actually speaking to the Greeks, speaking to the Gentiles, in other words, the Grecians, the Hellenists, whatever they would call them in those days. Very interesting to me, and I thought this was a neat little Bible trivia thing, and most of you will probably know, but I'll throw it out there. Verse 20, notice the place named Cyrene. This is where a very important person was from. Anybody know, anybody recognize that name? A little place, a little town, a little community called Cyrene. The man who helped Jesus carry his cross was named Simon who lived in Cyrene. Remember that in Matthew? I believe it was uh, chapter 27. They compelled him to help Jesus carry his cross. So no doubt that this guy was back there living there, and this is several years later, but there was some good people in this community. And so these people came down and said, we're going to preach to the, even to, to everyone. So that's pretty neat. I just thought that was something neat to look at. Verse 22. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, <clears throat> and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. <clears throat> So now once they find out that people are starting to receive the gospel outside the Jewish community in these certain little cities, they send back to Jerusalem and guys on out here, we, we need some help because these people's wanting to learn. So that's how it's going on now. It's just starting to slowly spread, spread out from Jerusalem, okay? Verse 23. When he came and seen that the grace had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, this is Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was there so that they were there for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. I want you to notice something about verse 26. Teaching the principles of Christianity and Christian living are vital to spiritual growth. There's a whole different message when somebody is an evangelist or maybe a person who just preaches revivals trying to get people saved. That's a very simple message. You're a sinner. Jesus died to save you from your sins. You can accept Jesus and receive new life. That's a much simpler, simpler approach. But when we have to start teaching people the way we should live, maybe even the way we need to start thinking, the way we need to start reacting, those things take a while. That's why we have church now today, right? We No matter how far we are along with the Lord, we can always do just a little better, can't we? And we always need that. We always need those things to remind us. This is what the expects of us. So notice there in verse 26. We said, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was they were there for a whole year. They assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That's another little trivia question. Those who believed in Jesus were previously referred to as people of the way. That's what the, a lot of people would, would have called Christians back then in other areas. They say, oh, that's the people of the way. 
and the way would be capitalized. But here in this town, Antioch, they started referring to them as Christians. So that's just a neat little trivia question. That's, I think it's interesting that that's in the Bible. So verse 27, And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples each, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And this they also did and sent, to the, sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. One of the interesting things I noticed there in this was there are a lot of people nowadays that say they hear from God and they say they're speaking on behalf of the Spirit and maybe it will be something bad or something negative. But they give you that and then that's just it and they run away and you never hear from them again. Did you notice what happened here? It says when they gave the word that there was something bad getting ready to happen, they all got involved and started helping one another get prepared for it. That's the whole meaning of prophecy in the Bible, okay? That's what it's talking about is to prepare us, not to make us elite or better than everybody. So look what they did. When times get hard, Christians band together and make sure everyone has the things necessary for life. Verse 29, after they were told that there's going to be a great famine, then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to what? Send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea because they knew they were going to be hit the hardest. Because when the food started running out, the Romans, they're going to take care of their own first, right? So the people left in Judea, which would be the major Jewish community, they knew and the Christians that were living there, they were going to be the ones shut out. So they decided, we're going to start doing everything we can to help out our, our fellow brethren. Also in verse 29, I want you to notice this, that this is a New Testament theme, a New Testament teaching. Followers of the Lord give from their hearts and not from a command. Notice the phrase, each according to his own ability. They didn't just make a decree that says every single person's got to give a certain amount to do this, they said, each give according to your own ability, what you can afford to do, what you can afford to give, this is what we're going to do with it. We're going to help our brethren in Judea because there's a famine coming. We've got to get them prepared so they can survive through it. And you see that that's how the early church operated. They cared about one another. Amen? Nowadays, what you'd get was, well, we got it all and y'all must not have did something right, so y'all are just getting left behind. See, no, that's not the way the early church did it. They cared about one another. Amen? Amen. Chapter 12, moving along. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Now, this is not Herod the Great. This is not the Herod that was there when uh, Jesus was born. This is, like, this is the next generation down. This is one of his sons. They referred to him as Herod. It was kind of like the title of Pharaoh, this, that, and the other. They, a lot of those called him Herod Antipas, Herod this, Herod the Great, stuff like that. So this is one of Herod the Great's sons, okay? Stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, which was one of their feasts. And in verse 4 says, So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison 
and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now this was, you remember a lot of times in the Gospels you hear Peter, James, and John. Those were the three main guys that, that Jesus trusted even more than the others. A lot of times when he would go off privately, he took those three guys with him. Okay, These were prominent leaders in the early church. Peter, James, and John. Well now James and John were brothers. Well now James has been killed by the sword because Herod said it pleased the Jews. I guess they were getting tired of these guys preaching about this Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And remember previously... Uh, the persecution had kind of slowed down once Paul got saved, right? Saul of Tarsus, when he got saved, remember it kind of slowed down a little bit. So they enjoyed a lot of growth in Christianity. Now all of a sudden Herod can't help himself and he's, he's going to start persecution. This is my opinion. I, I'm not saying that the Bible says this right here, but just from human nature and all through the rest of the Bible you see it. Here's a fact of life. The powers that be are okay as long as we don't affect them in any way. As long as we're not affecting them in any way. So my opinion of what happened here is the powers that be, which was Herod at the time, they were okay with Christianity spreading throughout the Jewish community. But when it started spreading through the rest of the population, they felt threatened. And this then was now Herod. Herod didn't like the fact that they always, Romans and Greeks and people like that, always looked at the Jewish people as those, their people are weird. They just kind of marginalized them, right? They didn't even really deal with them a lot. So if they want to spread around and talk about this Jesus guy or they want to argue about whether Moses was greater than Jesus and <clears throat> all the things that those Jewish people were doing at the time, Herod didn't really, that wasn't on his radar. But when it started spreading around through his population of, his, of what he called his people, the, Jew, the Gentiles and things, I think he felt threatened. And so now he's going to start persecuting the leadership of the church. And I have to give him credit for this. He didn't go after the common ordinary people. He went right for the top. He went, James is dead now. And now he's arrested Peter. Because Peter really is the leader, right? And so now he's locked him in jail. I want you to notice before we read these next few passages. And keep this in mind as we read the story. In verse 4, said he arrested him, put him in prison, and had one guy keep him. Nope and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him. He must have been really worried he'd go break out of jail, wasn't he? Four squads of soldiers. I don't know how many was in a squad, but that's probably several guys. He committed him to four squads and said, you put that guy in jail and you guard him. And over. I'm bringing him people and we're going to be off with his head just like James, right? That was his intent. So just remember that. Four squads. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 5 says this, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. <clears throat> then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. Verse 9 says, So when he... So he went out and followed him and did not know that it was done by the angel what was done by the angel was real 
but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. I want you to, to think about this for just a minute. He's miraculously rescued from prison. And I want to take a notice before we finish reading that little passage in verse 5. There was a couple good points here we need to make. Verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but what? Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. They cared about him, didn't they? They cared about one another. They knew what his end was getting ready to be. When they found out he'd been arrested, they knew, uh-oh, this is not going to end good unless God intervened. So they prayed on a regular basis. Lord, help Peter. Lord, help us. So whatever, we don't know the exact words they prayed, but it says they prayed, okay? And then in verse 6, I want you to notice. Now, we talked about four squads of soldiers. In verse 6, I want you to notice this. <clears throat> this is how paranoid Herod was that he was going to get out of prison. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night, or, that night Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards were before the door keeping, guarding the prison. Two chains between two soldiers and others guarding the doors. This would have been the rest of the four squads. This is how tight they had him locked up. And from what they say, history tells you is when they, when they talk about a soldier was there, the soldier was bound to the prisoner. It wasn't that there was just a soldier here and a soldier here sleeping. Peter was bound with two chains, and those chains were tied to a soldier on each side. So he's not getting loose, right? They had securely put Peter into prison. They thought, he's not getting out of here. He'll be here until tomorrow when we bring him out. What did we talk about a while ago as the title? To God be the glory. <laughs> God's getting ready to do something that man thought was impossible. Amen? Amen. I think it's also interesting in verse 9 how uh, Peter thought this was a vision. You know, he's been seeing visions and having dreams and all kinds of weird things has been happening to him. So here he is, he's like, man, we're going through the prison. We go past this guard gate and go through here and we go past the iron gate. And now I'm out in the street. And he's thinking, wow, I, this is a neat vision. Wonder what this means. Then all of a sudden he realizes, hey, I'm out. I'm free. That's pretty interesting then. I think it's very interesting. <coughs> verse 12 so when he had considered this he came out he came to the house of Mary the mother of John whose surname was Mark where many were gathered together praying now I have to remember they was praying for him right it says that they were constantly making prayer for Peter we got Peter needs rescued Lord and as Peter knocked at the door <coughs> of the gate a girl named Rhoda came to answer when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. She's so excited, she didn't even unlock the door for him. She's like, hey, that's Peter. She's got to run and tell somebody, right? Pretty interesting. She's excited. Verse 15 says, but they said to her, you're beside yourself. 
Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel or it's his spirit. They figured, well, maybe he's already dead or something. They don't know. Verse 16 says, Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go tell these things to James and the brethren. This was the other James that was still alive, not the one that had been deceased. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now, in verse 12, remember they were praying for his release. They were there praying about Peter to be delivered from the hand of Herod, okay? Now, it's so interesting to me. This is one of the most interesting stories in the Bible. Is the very thing they were praying for all of a sudden presented itself, and what did they do? Nah, he's not here. <laughs> Isn't that just like human nature? We spend so much time focused on the prayer that when God brings the results right in our lap, we're like, oh, no, that, no that's not. I'm going to keep on praying. <laughs> and that's kind of an interesting story. But it shows us human nature. And it shows us that, like uh, Brother Charlie Alton says, the Lord knows we are but flesh. We blow it on a daily basis sometimes. And this was one of them places where they was praying for Peter to be safe and Peter showed up and was like, no, it's not Peter. We're going to keep praying for Peter. <laughs> so it's just a very comical thing, but it shows us our nature. So the people were praying for his safety. And then in verse 14, Rhoda tells them that Peter's here. He's outside at the door. And notice what they said in verse 15. You're beside yourself. <laughs> The very thing that they were praying for, it didn't happen like they thought it was going to. That's probably what was going on here more than anything. They were hoping that when maybe he goes before, before the authorities, they'll say, well, we're just going to let him go. But God did one up on them, didn't he? He said, not only is he going to let him go, he said, I'm going to free him and he's not going to know where Peter's at from now on. He's going to go hide. So it's very interesting how they're sitting there praying one way and in one mindset, you know, Lord, we got to protect Peter. Lord, we got to rescue him. He shows up at the door and they're like, oh, you're crazy. You're that. No, that ain't happening. Very interesting. Sometimes we focus, and that's one point I'd like to make. Sometimes we focus too much on our prayers and not the results that God places in our laps. And notice verse 16. This shows that this is not what they were expecting. Verse 16 says, Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him. They were what? Astonished. So we prayed for Peter to be released, and now Peter stands before us a free man, and they were astonished. Wow, God really has done a miracle here. Isn't that so interesting? And then in verse 19, one other thing I'd like to point out before we move along. This is how much hatred Herod had for the early church and how much he had for Peter. Look what he did to those soldiers. They didn't have anything to do with it. There was nothing they were going to do that was going to stop God delivering Peter out of their hands, right? Look what he does. When Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. These people that ruled back in those days, they were ruthless. And we're seeing, we see it in our country now today, there, there's a lot of checks and balances that keeps them from doing what they would really like to do. But you can see that there are people right now in this world that would just love to tear us apart. Amen. 
But that's the way it was for them. And then in the last few verses, we'll read 20 through 24 and we'll stop with that. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, <clears throat> but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So they're kind of buttering up to Herod because the famine's starting to get bad and they're saying, we're, this is where we get our food from, so we want to be nice to you and we want to keep getting your food. Verse 21, so on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. So he was swelled all up with pride, right? Because now these people were dependent upon him. Verse 23, then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. And the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. In verses 20 through 24, we learn the very title of our lesson, To God Be the Glory. The Bible says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This fellow Herod, he was very ruthless. He did a lot of bad things. He was very arrogant, and he was allowing these people to worship him as a god. And all of a sudden, he got a very severe disease, and they said it didn't last just a few days. That it's just like his entrails and everything came out. And it was just a very, very bad thing what happened to him. So pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God only tolerates arrogance for a little while. And as we close this lesson today with this, these two chapters, God receives the glory for all things. If I'm successful in anything, I can lean and say, well, it was because of my education. Or it was because of my hard work. Or it was because of my prayer. It was because of on and on and on. At the end of the day, we have to give God the glory. God is the one who allowed us to come out of the womb healthy and able to do anything, right? He's the one who's allowed us to have the mind to be able to do the things that we do and the work that we've done in our life. Amen. And he's provided us with people who's been there to help us and to work with us and work for us and whatever the case may be. So to God be the glory in all things. Amen. Let's remember that today. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come to you today. We give you thanks for this word you've given us today. We thank you, Lord, for these two chapters once again we've read here in the book of Acts. Help us to remember, Lord, not to stereotype other people. To know that, Lord, you can save whomever will listen to you, whoever will believe in the gospel, you'll save them. No matter what they look like, no matter where they came from, that you want to save people. And we pray, Lord, today that you just help us as we move forward. And we know this, but we always need to be reminded that you get the glory for all things, especially, Lord, in the church. So, Lord, we just give you thanks and thank you for this lesson. I pray you keep each and every one safe in these upcoming days. and. Continue to watch over our people who's hurting. Pray, pray, Lord, today for our people who are caring for family members who are hurting. And we just pray, Lord, you keep your hands upon all of us. Keep us safe until the next appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.